Hello, I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. This episode is all about fantasy. We find ourselves in France to begin with, meeting the whimsical Amélie. Director and script, Jean-Pierre Junot. Script, Willem Laurent. Director of photography, Bruno Dallonon. Editor, Hervé Schneid. Music, Jan Thiessen. Actors, Audrey Tattoo, Mathieu Kassovitz, Rufus, Jamal Debus, Dominique Pinot, Yolande Moreau, and Jacques Thébault. Amelie is a romantic comedy and a love poem to the world of the imagination. Actually, it's a film about film. Amelie is director Jean-Pierre Junot trying to push the life of the title character in the direction he thinks it should go to create the result she thinks she should have. In this, it is an artificial construct, an artifact of the imagination made real, just as film has a reality even though the substance is false. Amélie Poutin is born in 1974. Her parents believing she has a heart defect, which is true in the emotional sense, decide to homeschool her. Amelie's world comes crashing down when a Canadian tourist drops from the Eiffel Tower and kills himself and her mother. Her father, Raphael, shrinks into himself, while Amelie blossoms into an 18-year-old waitress at the Café de De Moulins an actual café in Paris, so called because it is near the windmills Moulin Rouge and Moulin de la Galette. In the café, she caters to the eccentric clientele. Her story really starts on August the 31st, 1997, when, startled by the death of Princess Diana, she discovers a secret hidey hole with a metal box that holds a child's treasures. Amelie decides to return the box to its owner. She starts by questioning the residents of her apartment block. The reclusive Raymond Dufayel recalls the family name was Britondo. This is enough of a hint for Amelie to track down Dominique Britondo. He is so moved, he decides to reconcile with his daughter and see the grandson he has never met. Amelie becomes a mamzelle with a mission to spread happiness to those around her. She push-starts a romance between two of the cafe patrons, gets her father out of the house by kidnapping his garden gnome, and having a flight attendant post photos of the gnome in exotic locations. And she plays practical jokes on the mean greengrocer. She also comes into contact with the quixotic Nino Quincampo, who collects the discarded photographs from passport photo booths. Well, these are brief encounters, and Amelie romanticizes about what he is actually doing, she also realizes she is falling in love. Having spent the movie pursuing happiness for others, the film ends with Amelie finding happiness for herself. The film is notable for both being an early adopter of CGI and its restrained use of the technique, to the point few critics even comment upon it. Serge Kaganski was one bad-tempered critic I could find. 
He complained that the film was unrealistic, missing the point that it is a fantasy, and a picturesque view of a bygone French society, which is apt, but he seems to have missed the fact that this film is criticising the myopia of that society, and that it contains few ethnic minorities. My response would be that few mainstream films from any country contain the full ethnic spread of that country. Director Jean-Pierre Junot responded to this particular criticism by pointing out that Nino's photo collection shows many ethnicities and that actor Jamal Debouze was of Moroccan descent. The criticised simply exposed Serge as being petty. Director Jean-Pierre Junot was born on September the 3rd, 1952, in Rouen, France. While studying animation at Cinemation Studios, Jean-Pierre met frequent collaborator, designer and comic book artist Marc Caro. The pair worked on advertisements, short films and music videos from within the Cinéma de Luc movement. From the 1980s into the 1990s, this movement was characterized by style over substance. Their work was influenced by German Expressionism, French Poetic Realism, and the French New Wave movement. Jean-Pierre noted, Cinema, since the New Wave, always seems to be about a couple fighting in a kitchen. I prefer to write positive stories. The collaboration ended when the pair were invited to direct Alien Resurrection, 1997. Mark Caro was not interested in working on a big-budget Hollywood film, and even less interested in working on a project where he had little creative control. After the debacle of that film, Jean-Pierre returned to France to make Amelie 2001, a return, in my opinion, to being true to his own creative impulses, and a raised one-finger salute to Hollywood. Over the next two decades, he found it increasingly difficult to raise funds for his quirky products. That is, film companies realized they might have to get off their butts to promote his work, rather than using the advertising template they had always used. He did turn down directing the Harry Potter series because he felt all the creative decisions had already been made. Jean-Pierre threatened, in 2019, to go to Netflix as a last resort. In 2022, he released his first Netflix film. He said, I need to be in love with the story because you work 16 hours per day and in the weekend, and I need to be in love with every detail. Director of photography Bruno Delbonal was born in 1957 in Nancy, France. Bruno graduated from ESEC France in 1978. He's known for his stylized palette and his collaborations with directors such as Jean-Pierre Junot, Tim Burton, the Coen brothers and Joe Wright. He is the only Harry Potter director of photography to be nominated for an Oscar, even though the result came about through interference by Warner Brothers in director and director of photography choices. In 2019, Bruno became head of the cinematography department of La Fermise, the Paris Film School. Composer Jan Thiersen was born on June the 23rd, 1970, in Brest, France. 
As a preteen, Yan learnt piano and violin, and received training at musical academies in Rennes, Nantes, and Boulogne-sur-Mer. In the 80s, as a teenager, he came under the influence of punk rock, learnt to play the guitar, and formed his own band. When the band broke up, Yan brought a cheap mixing desk and an eight-track recorder, and started recording his own compositions. These he sold as background music for short films and plays. He released his first album in 1995. Jan later recalled, The only French singer I listened to was Serge Gainsbourg. Skipping this period, when Jan built his French reputation, takes us to Amelay, 2001. Director Jean-Pierre Jeunet had very definite ideas on the music he wanted for the film. This all changed when an assistant put on a CD of Yann's music. Jean-Pierre bought all of Yann's albums and tracked down the composer to ask him to compose the score. In two weeks, Yann completed 19 tracks and offered the reproduction anything else they liked from his back catalogue. The score was a hit and brought Yann international recognition. History was like that irritating itch on your back in a spot you just can't quite reach on. January the 10th, Scott Harlan Thorpe killed three people in a shooting spree in Nevada. The US Congress misreads the event as a shopping spree. February the 9th, the USS Greenville struck and sunk the Japanese fishing vessel Ehimaru near Hawaii. February the 19th, the Oklahoma City National Museum dedicated the Oklahoma City Bombing Museum. February the 23rd, David Attias drove a car into pedestrians, killing four and wounding one in Isla Vista, California. April the 7th, Timothy Thomas was shot dead by the Cincinnati police. Do I need to add that this was for traffic violations? May the 8th, Shrek was released in the USA. June the 20th, Andrea Yates of Houston, Texas drowned her five children in a bathtub. Even in 2001, the right to life in the USA ended at birth. September the 11th, Al-Qaeda attacked the World Trade Center in New York City. The USA takes another step into fascism in response. September the 21st, the Azot Fertilisant factory in Toulouse exploded. 2,500 people are injured and 29 were killed. October the 3rd, in Manchester, Tennessee, USA, a passenger slit the throat of the bus driver. The bus crashed, seven people die. October the 7th, the USA invaded Afghanistan, mostly because diplomacy was never considered. November the 13th, fascism continued to blossom in the USA under the guise of a war on terrorism. President George W. Bush 
allowed the institution of military tribunals against any foreigners suspected of having connections to terrorist acts or known terrorists. This is just McCarthyism under a different name. November the 30th, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, was finally arrested after an almost 20-year investigation. He pled guilty to 49 murders. As these weren't traffic violations, he wasn't shot while being arrested. December the 22nd, a flight was diverted to Boston, USA after passenger Richard Reed threatened to detonate explosives hidden in his shoes. Guess he couldn't stand the stink any longer. He was charged with terrorism as he was a Muslim convert. Unlike Gary Ridgway, whose 20-year campaign of terrorism on a US community was considered to be only the cost of living in the USA. To paraphrase the movie I'm about to review, it's a story about fashion, a way of life inspired by the homeless, the immigrants, the crack whores that make this wonderful nation so unique. Yes, it's Zoolander. Director, script and actor Ben Stiller. Script Drake Stather and John Hamburg. Director of photography Barry Peterson. Editor Greg Hayden. Music David Arnold. Actors David Bowie, Owen Wilson, Christine Taylor, Will Farrell, Myla Jovovich, Jerry Stiller, David Duchovny, John Voigt, Alexander Skarsgård, Christian Slater, Cuba Gooding Jr., Natalie Portman, Luke Haas, James Marsden, Stephen Dorff, Winona Ryder, Vincent Vaughan, Billy Vane, Fabio, Heidi Klum, and Paris Hilton. The plot has been stolen from The Manchurian Candidate, 1962, and develops two skits written by Ben Stiller and Drake Sather from the VH1 Fashion Awards. Derek Zoolander is a male fashion model, feeling the fingers of age, crinkling his moneymaker. New model, Hansel, is proving tough competition, and Derek's friends and flatmates were all killed in a freak gasoline fight accident. Even his relatives have rejected him. Mostly for being so shallow they can't find him. Meanwhile, the fashion industry is looking for a model who can be brainwashed into killing the Prime Minister of Malaysia, a man so evil he plans to prohibit child labour in his country. Fashion mogul Jacobin Mugatu and Derek's agent, Maury Ballstein, are charged with the task. They hit upon Derek as being nearly brain-dead enough for the job. Reporter Matilda Jeffries tries to warn Derek, but it's like trying to warn a lettuce about salads. It is ex-hand model J.P. Pruitt who talks to Derek about other fashion industry hit jobs, like Abraham Lincoln and JFK. Derek is unconvinced, even when told that the models die soon after the hit. What convinces him is goons gunning for J.P. They hide out at the home of Hansel because, they reason, no one would look for them there. 
Derek muddles through the hit towards a happy ending, taking many hits from illegal substances along the way. The film co-opted a who's who of the fashion industry, including David Bowie, whose performance critic Nicholas Pegg described as willingly sanding up the media's image of him as the ultimate arbiter of cool, which describes all the other cameos as well, even if the performers did it knowingly or not. Critic Todd McCarthy observed the cameos lend an air of authenticity to the idiocy. It wasn't the fashion industry who got hot under the collar at the film. It was Malaysia who had the film banned. They take assassinations seriously in Malaysia. There was also a hurried last-minute re-edit as the film was released two weeks after the attack on the World Trade Center in New York City. Director Ben Stiller had images of the Twin Towers digitally removed from the film. They were restored in the 2016 reissue. Director Ben Stiller was born on November 30th, 1965 in New York City, New York, USA. Ben came from a theatrical family, noting it was a show business upbringing, a lot of traveling and a lot of late nights, not what you'd call traditional. He made his acting debut at the age of nine. He also got a Super 8 camera and started to make films with family and friends. Ben attended the University of California, Los Angeles, to study film, but left after nine months. He auditioned. He recalled, it's hard to maintain a sense of dignity in an audition. Ben made his mark by progressing through television and realized this involved not working for much of the time. He decided, I couldn't sit around and wait to get work because it wasn't happening. I would just try to create my own projects with friends who were filmmakers. He got lucky with his first directorial effort, Reality Bites, 1994. He now found he had fame and a certain amount of fortune, but Ben kept his feet firmly on the ground and was later to say, the reason for all this is only because the movie made money. It's not because I'm any more talented or better looking. His mojo was now on. He became an iconic comedian and a leader of the mythical, according to Ben, frat pack that includes Owen Wilson, Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, Luke Wilson, Steve Carell, and Paul Rudd. Director of photography Barry Peterson was born in Alberta, Canada. Barry started his career in special visual effects before becoming a DOP on several successful commercials. This made him a perfect fit for Zoolander 2001. He moved to Los Angeles and feature film work. Composer David Arnold was born on January 23, 1962 in Luton, England. In sixth form, David made friends with director Danny Cannon. The pair made short films together, and then the feature film, The Young Americans. In 1994, he scored the movie Stargate, and his international career was well and truly launched. David is associated with the films of Roland Emmerich and John Singleton. As a grand finale, things now get scary. With... Shrek, director Andrew Adamson and Vicky Jensen. Script, Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio, Joe Stillman, Roger S.H. Shulman, Cody Cameron and Chris Miller. Script and actor, Conrad Vernon. Editor, Sim Evan-Jones. Music, Henry Gregson-Williams and John Powell.
actors. Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, John Lithgow, Vincent Cassell, Chris Miller, Cody Cameron, Kathleen Freeman, and Christopher Knights. Shrek is based on the novel by William Stieg, published in 1990. Steven Spielberg bought the rights in 1991, intending to do it using traditional animation. It was producer John H. Williams of Vanguard Films who suggested he turn instead to digital animation and sent Stephen off in the direction of the newly formed DreamWorks studio. DreamWorks purchased the rights from Stephen and immediately put the project into the production schedule in 1995. The release of Shrek put DreamWorks onto the animation map, somewhere before before Here There Be Dragons, but after Terra Firma. It is currently seen as one of the most influential animated films of the 21st century. Shrek is an ogre who loves peace and quiet. This is disturbed by Lord Farquaad of Duloc, and it's just like ex-president Donald Trump to model himself on a fictional character. Farquaad tells the fairy tale characters in his dukedom to fuck off through systematic oppression rather than instruction. The creatures deposit themselves in the safety of Shrek's swamp. Shrek decides to reason with Farquaad to get the invaders out of his home and is accompanied by the talkative and irritating donkey. Meanwhile, Magic Mirror the only magical being Farquaad can tolerate, has told him that the only way he can become a king is to marry a princess. Princess Fiona is available, although she is imprisoned in a castle guarded by a dragon. The Duke appoints Shrek for the task. Shrek rescues Fiona, but she is appalled that Farquaad didn't come in person to rescue her. She begins to develop feelings for Shrek. They return to the dukedom, and there's a bit of argy-bargy duking to get to the finale, where Fiona is released from a curse by true love's kiss. Uh, the dragon also puts in an appearance because she has fallen in love with Donkey. The soundtrack highlights a developing trend in Hollywood films to use pop songs as commentary on the action. It also makes a jumbo bin number of pop cultural references. Unlike other films that jumped on this particular bandwagon, the references don't bury the story, but comment on it. The film was a hit with critics. Rotten Tomatoes hit the nail on the head when it wrote, While simultaneously embracing and subverting fairy tales, the irreverent Shrek also manages to tweak Disney's nose, provide a moral message to children, and offer viewers a funny, fast-paced ride. Director Andrew Adamson was born on December 1, 1966, in Auckland, New Zealand. Andrew moved with his parents to Papua, New Guinea, when he was 11, and moved back to Auckland seven years later. He wanted to be an architect, but missed the university enrollment deadline due to a car accident. He was recruited by Pacific Data Images in 1990. The same year, William Stieg published Shrek, and settled in Los Angeles. For this company, he worked as technical director on two movies, although during this period he is mostly associated with advertisements. Things changed in 1995 when he was hired as visual effects supervisor for Batman Forever, 
beginning a two-film run with Batman. It was Shrek that put him in the director's chair, and the Narnia Chronicles, 2005-10, where he branched out into live action and took a producing role. Director Vicki Jensen was born on March the 4th, 1960, in Los Angeles, California, USA. Vicky started in animation by painting animation cells. In fact, this became a source of income while she studied at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. She also studied at California State University, Northridge. Vicky began her career storyboarding at Warner Brothers, Marvel, and Disney Television, working her way up to production designer and finally producer. Vicky was hired by DreamWorks as production designer and story artist for The Road to El Dorado, 2000. She was then assigned to be a story artist on Shrek. In a stroke of luck, co-director Kate Asby left the production and Vicky was assigned as the replacement. She was to recall... For a long time, the movie didn't know what it wanted to be. One problem was unavoidable. Chris Farley had died, Shrek's original voice, and the story had been geared around him. The story went through an upheaval while they tried to find the right tone for it. I think they were really close to shelving the project when a few of us came into a story and to try and find a tone that could work. With Andrew Adamson, who stayed on as director, we started pulling little pieces together out of what remained, and part of the way through, Jeffrey decided that I should be directing. A few months later, we started production. Adam Adamson later said they split the script in half, so the crew would know which director to see about a specific question. Next episode is for Patreon or Buzzsprout supporters only. You know who you are, and I love you all. I keep you down in the cellar and water you every day. If you're not a pod person, then the next episode takes us around the world in 1897. Although we'll be traveling a lot faster to do it than the technology of that era allows. Become a Buzzsprout or Patreon supporter. Whiskey ain't cheap, and I get through a whole lot watching those alien movies. Purchase a copy of Movie Chronicles 2020 from an e-store near you. And until next time, remember, an alien is just a face-hugging, excrement-looking toe rag that you've never met before. <laughs>